least part of it, about what happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament, intertestamental period or the period of silence, uh, it's called sometimes. And I want to do that tonight, but we'll do a little bit more than that. Um, I'm glad you're here tonight, by the way. Seems like a uh, bigger than average crowd for Sunday night, so I'm glad about that. I'm glad you chose to come back and to be a part of this uh, short worship service and then the class that we're going to start now. We uh, just, a, just, a quick, just a quick word about this. Um, I know Hoover people, you might get tired of me saying this every time we do this, but we always have people here who don't know what we're doing, and so I want to make sure we're all on the same page. We're reading through the Bible together as a church this year, or at least we have made it available, and some folks in the church are doing it, and, and maybe not all of us are doing it, and that's fine. Uh, you may not be caught up, but we're a few, a couple, what, a couple weeks, I think, a couple weeks into the New Testament. We started the New Testament. Uh, it was September 25th, so oh, we're on almost a month to the New Testament. That's, yeah, no, that's not right. We started New Testament on uh, October 3rd. I knew that seemed like not right. So we're, we're a couple weeks in. And we will, you know, the New Testament is, is really short. We're, we're near the end of the year. So uh, we got two months, basically, a little over two months to finish the, finish the Bible. Uh, you'll notice if you look ahead to the schedule, we'll, 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 get, to, we'll get to the crucifixion of Jesus uh, within the next, within the next uh, week or two. And then we go into the book of Acts, and we'll start reading the letters and all that. So that's where we are. I wanna, we're going to show one of the Bible Project videos. I've tried to show one of those every, every class period because I, I think they do a good job of doing some thematic kind of stuff. They, you'll hear the language. Sometimes I use it, and I, um, this uh, cohesive narrative language uh, or the story of the Bible. They, they do a lot of work on that, and, and so I'm going to show you the video on the new t introduction to the New Testament. It's uh, eight minutes long, and what it does is it's going to help you to see some of the things we, we talk about a lot here at church. It, it'll help you to see the continuity between the First and Second Testaments, between the Old and the New, and how one leads to the other. And so, uh, Will, if you would cue that up now, we'll go ahead and watch that, and then um, after that, um, I'm going to go into some of the stuff about like what, what went on to lead us to Pharisees and all that in the New Testament? Thank you. 
Then there's a letter from the Hebrews written by a close but unnamed associate of the apostles. After this are the letters of James, Jude, Peter, and John. Two were brothers of Jesus, and two were among his close followers. The last New Testament book is the Revelation, a letter to seven churches that reveals the prophetic word of challenge and comfort to all of Jesus' followers. So those are the books of the New Testament, but what are they about? And how does it connect with the Old Testament to make up one unified story? The Bible is one long epic narrative with multiple movements or acts. The Old Testament recounts the first series of acts that give you everything you need to make sense of the story of all. The four themes and the plot conflict are arranged in a designing pattern. And then in the New Testament, these are all picked up and carried forward to the story's culmination in Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. The first act is about God and all of humanity. God provides a sweet garden people for humans who are made to be God's partners in doing the work. But humans are So they're exiled into a wilderness where they start killing each other. They build cities that spread their selfishness and oppression, leading up to the big bad city of Babylon. But God loves the world and its foolish men, so he sets in motion a rescue plan by promising the arrival of a new king who will destroy the evil that has lured us into selfishness. The next act of the biblical story is about God and Israel, and it develops the themes and patterns of the first act. God calls a new humanity out of Babylon into a Abraham, Sarah, and his descendants, the Israelites. God promises that through them, divine blessing will be restored to all of the nations. So it is easy for the new humans that were waiting for us, but the Israelites repeat humanity's rebellion against God, building their own violent cities that lead to self-destruction and another exile in Babylon. But God sustains his promise that the new human will come from Abraham's lineage. It will be a priest king who will now have to rescue both Israel and humanity from Babylon Notice how these two acts are designed according to the same pattern. The second act is a longer and a more violent version of the first, and together they explore the tragic human condition, but they also highlight God's promise, which is developed more in the next act, the Old Testament prophets and poets. The prophets accuse Israel and all nations of their evils, and they announce that one day God himself will arise to bring the day of the Lord and deliver his world from Babylon. He will do it through a promised royal priest who is going to suffer like a
where Jesus dies for humanity's evil and commission, and where he lives out what he taught with nonviolence, forgiveness, and selfless love of the most powerful thing in the universe. And because God's love for his world is stronger than even death, Jesus was raised to new life as the prototype of a new humanity, and this brings us to the story of Acts. Through the Spirit, God empowers Jesus' followers to spread the life and love of Jesus out into the world as they invite people to leave their old humanity and join Jesus' multi-ethnic family to new humanity. This is where the letter from the Apostles fit into the story. Here the Apostles address early Christian communities, and they show how the good news about the goodness of Jesus changed history and should reshape every part of our lives. They also explain the good news by constantly appealing to stories from the Old Testament and the stories of Jesus, showing us how to treat our own life stories as part of the so all humanity is trapped in the Babylonian exile, but Jesus came to create a new home. We're all living in different kinds of Egyptian slavery to selfishness and sin, but Jesus died as the Passover lamb to liberate us into the promised land. All of humanity is bound to the death of death, but Jesus' resurrection opens up a new future for a new humanity. We live here in the current evil age, but through Jesus and the Spirit, a new creation has burst open. The, uh, there's a lot in that video. There's a, real, there's a, a great deal of thought that goes into that, and uh, you might want to go back if you're interested in such things and just watch it carefully, and, and you can actually download those, the whole chart that they have there. You can download that and print it out. If you're really interested, print that out and follow along. It's um, good stuff there about the New Testament. It'll become more important as you, as you keep on reading. I want us to spend a few minutes talking about how we got from Malachi to Matthew once you finish Malachi, people who don't know this might be pretty confused. You've got 400 years there with nothing, you know, 400 years with no prophetic word from God. I say nothing. Tons of stuff happens, all right? Lots of stuff happens, but no prophetic word from God. In fact, there was one writer during that time who wrote, he called this period, the, the period of time in which he lived, which is the intertestamental period, he called that time of that time of uh, history, the worst of any since the day the prophets ceased to appear among them. That was his, those were his words. He was saying, 
this is bad. We have not heard from God in a long time. He has not spoken through the prophets, you know, for a long time. So it's that period of silence. That's what it means. Lots of stuff's happening, but God is not speaking through the prophets. You remember when you finish the Old Testament, you finish the, the book of Malachi, it, it ends on, a, on a, a bit of an upward trajectory. A lot of the prophets are pretty negative. Most of them are, are negative, and then at the very end of it, it'll say, but something good's going to happen. You know, you got that at the end of Malachi. You remember about the historical time that we're living in, if we're living with Malachi? Uh, who's reigning at that time? You remember? You, of course, uh, Israel, Judah, rather. Judah went into exile in Babylon. Babylon, they stayed there 70 years, and then a lot of them went back, but not all of them went back. Esther is a story about some folks who didn't go back. Uh, but anyway, they went back because somebody took over Babylon, and that nation was Persia. All right? So Persia took over. And Persia reigned for a couple hundred years. They were from 539. So if you like numbers, if you like the chronology of it, uh, Persia takes over Babylon in 539. All right? And that's when a bunch of Jews go back and they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the temple, they start trying to get people observing the law again. Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, those guys. And after they got back, they, you know, they gave up on building the temple for a while, and they got discouraged, and they started building their own houses, and Haggai came back to them and said, you need to get, work, you need to get to work on the temple again, all this. So the prophets are coming back during that time. Then Malachi, by the time of Malachi, which is you know, 400-ish B.C., Malachi is, is writing to a discouraged people. I mean, they are... They are kind of lethargic and they're offering to God sacrifices but sick ones God remember God wanted the ones without blemish and they're offering him what's left over and Malachi comes and he says you know you wouldn't even offer that to a governor you know to some sort of an earthly ruler why are you doing it to God but anyway Persia is is reigning during that time and 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 Judah is under the thumb of Persia but Persia's a pretty good actually as far as world dominating powers, uh, Persia's not, not too bad. They are, uh, actually allow them some measure of freedom. Anyway, that goes on for a while. Malachi is 400 B.C. or so. About 70 years after that, you have Persia being dominated, along with everybody else, being dominated by Alexander the Great. So in 331, you have the beginning of the Greek Empire. I see some glassy-eyed look, and you're like, and I took history in 12th grade, and I was that was all I needed, you know. Um, so anyway, just stay with, stay with me for just a minute because if you don't, like when you open the New Testament, you know, you read about Pharisees. Where in the world did Pharisees come from? You don't read about Pharisees in the Old Testament. You don't read about Sadducees or Zealots or publicans, tax collectors, uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the synagogue, and all this stuff. Well, it comes about during this time frame, and we don't, we don't have any books in our Bibles that are written during that time frame or really about that time frame. And so lots of stuff happens, but it, if, if you stay with me just for a second, we'll, we'll get to like where that comes from. Anyway, so Alexander the Great took over the world. He was young, very young, and, uh, but he was really successful. He was a student of Aristotle. Uh, so Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Alexander the Great studied under Aristotle. And Alexander, of course, is not known for his Greek philosophy, but he is known for conquering the world. But along with, here's the important part about that. That, that matters to us, the way we read the New Testament. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle were big, big, pretty important people, right? I mean, they, uh, 
These Greek philosophers did a ton of stuff, a ton of thinking, and they influenced the course of the world. But we're still feeling the effects of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. So Alexander the Great studied under Aristotle. And the thing that matters about that is that he was very excited about Greek philosophy. Alexander the Great was. And so when he conquered a region, guess what he did with Greek philosophy? I mean, he brought it with him. You know, he, he brought all this stuff with him. So this whole process of Greek culture is called Hellenization. You'll read a version of that word in the New Testament. You'll read about Hellenistic Jews. You know what that means? It means Jews who came from other parts of the world and they had been Greekified, Hellenized. They had become Hellenists. They dressed like Greeks, they talked like Greeks, they lived like Greeks, but they were Jewish, observing some of the Jewish customs. So that, a lot of that comes from this whole, this whole thing with Alexander the Great and uh, him conquering the world. He didn't live long, though. He didn't live very long at all. And when he died, his kingdom was divided up, and uh, lots of stuff happened. But for the part we're concerned about, our little region of the world where Jesus would be born, there were the, um, there, there was, it's kind of like, somebody described it as like a, like a football that kept getting kicked from one to the other. It was like a center of, the, of that area, and they were fighting over it. But there were the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, and it was kind of going back and forth during that time. But it doesn't matter all that. I mean, there's, it's, it's tension, and they're, you know, the, the Jewish people are living during that time, and it's just hard. You know, they're under Persia, and then they're under Greece, and now they're under, like, you know, Ptolemies and Seleucids, and these, this conflict always going on. But the big thing that happens during that time is there is a, a ruler who comes into power, and his name is Antiochus. All right? The first one that we're going to talk about for just a minute is called Antiochus. Or I heard a guy, I was watching a video this afternoon, and he called, him, called it Antiochus. So that doesn't sound right to me. So I'm going to say Antiochus. That's the way I've always said it, and it sounds better to me. So Antiochus or Antiochus. Antiochus III. Okay? Here's the thing about him, about this guy. He, um, he was over Jerusalem and what we call Judah, you know, that area. And he was very, very Greek. Greeks are in charge. He loves Greece. He's very, very Greek. But the thing about it is, is he forced it on the Jews. You've read the Old Testament enough to know that, that God wanted the Jews to live kind of a distinct life and not to be like everybody else. Don't take on their customs. Don't, do all, don't worship their gods and all that. Well, he wasn't very, he wasn't very cool with that. And so he wanted them to be Greeks. And so he kind of forced it, forced it on them. It was during this time that the, the Jews kind of resisted that. And there were these people who were called the Hasidians. Have you ever heard of Hasidic Jews? That's the same, that's the, I mean, not, not the same people, but it, it's from the same word. The Hasidians, it means pious ones. And they were concerned about, let's maintain Jewish culture, let's don't become Greeks, you know, all this, this... Let's resist that kind of pressure that we're under. So the Hasidians, so they started this resistance. I'm going to talk about the Pharisees, which kind of come out of that sort of thinking in a minute. Um, I want to come back to that in a minute. But I want you to think about this for a second, because some crazy things happened. Antiochus III died, and the next ruler was called Antiochus Epiphanes. And Epiphanes means manifest. And so he was, he was kind of, uh, his title was kind of making him deity like um, um, Antiochus, the manifest God. The manifest God is, is that, that kind of thing. 
A lot of people thought he was actually legitimately insane. And the Jews, it's called Antiochus Epiphanes, they changed his name just slightly to Antiochus Epimenes, 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 which means insane. They just switched one little Greek letter there from Epiphanes to Epimenes, and so they called him Antiochus the Insane. What he did was he, he couldn't stand for the Jews to be able to live Jewish kinds of lives. He wanted them fully Greek in every, in every sense, and so he outlawed a lot of stuff, but three things in particular were considered capital crimes. Capital crime meaning put them to death, right? They do it. One, if you observe the Sabbath day, we'll kill you. Number two, if you circumcise your little boys, we will kill you. If you have any copies of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, we will kill you. And so, I'll let you guys guess how that played with many of the Jewish people. Don't circumcise. Circumcision a big deal in the New Testament? I mean, split the church nearly. It was a big deal in the church, you know. Circumcision was huge. Keeping the Sabbath, think that was a big deal? They got mad at Jesus because he, his disciples picked some grain on the Sabbath, you know, that Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath. Sabbath was a big deal. Maintaining a copy of the Bible, uh, of the Hebrew Scriptures, yeah. So they hated Antiochus Epiphanes, absolutely despised him. And, and so he, all of these, all of the, oh yeah, the last thing, his, his kind of, the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back was when, you've heard of this before, some of you have, I'm sure, but he went into the temple, which he had profaned already, but the, that culminating act was and he sacrificed a pig on the altar, the holy altar of the temple. Uh, you know how, the, what the Leviticus says about pigs, right? They're unclean and he knew that. And so about the worst thing you could do for the Jewish people would be to kill a pig on their altar, their, their holy, sacred altar. That led to a revolt, all right? And so if you've ever heard of the Maccabeans, this is where that comes from, the Maccabeans. There was a guy named Mattathias who started a revolt, and they would do like guerrilla warfare stuff. They couldn't take on the Ptolemies, the Greeks. They couldn't take them on in a you know, straight on battle, but they did this guerrilla warfare stuff. Mattathias didn't live very long. His third son took over when he died, and that third son's name was Judas, called Judas Maccabeus. It meant Judas the Hammerer. Can you imagine what Judas the Hammerer, how he got that name? Uh, Judas was uh, a military guy, a strong guy, a, a good military leader. He led these revolts, and they, they actually accomplished a lot, and they were able to establish, or at least to to restore some of the Jewish customs. They got, to, they got to use the temple again. They got to circumcise, keep the law. You know, they got, they got a lot of that back and uh, under the leadership of Judas. Now, the culmination, I mention this because this is mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, they, uh, once they, this went on for a while. So we're talking about 164 B.C., if you care about numbers, that's when the revolt started. And um, they got full independence in 142. So we're talking about two decades or so. And when they finally got to reuse the temple to worship God, they had a big feast day, and it's in the month of December, and Jewish people still celebrate it today. You know what it is? Now, Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah. That's where it comes from. It comes from this intertestamental period. It's mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus went up to the 
up to Jerusalem during, it doesn't say Hanukkah, but it says the Feast of, I think it says Feast of Lights, is that right? Feast of Dedication, that's right. The Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Lights goes back to Esther. The Feast of Dedications mentioned uh, when Jesus goes to, uh, goes to the Jerusalem during that time. So anyway, it's mentioned there. comes about out of the intertestamental period with uh, Judas the Hammerer. All right, so anyway, they got some independence. Now, here's, here's another kind of little uh, stream that becomes important for us when we read the New Testament, and that is about the Pharisees. When I say the word Pharisee, do you have good thoughts or bad thoughts? <laughs> Pharisees are the bad guys in the New Testament. Every sense of the word. I mean, pretty much for us, they're, they're bad guys. All right, I want to try to disabuse us of all the bad thoughts about the Pharisees for a minute. Because where, where they come from, all right, put yourself there. You're, you're a Jew. You know the Bible really well, the Old Testament really well. You know what God expects of you. You know you're to be separate from the nations. You are not to conform to them. You're not to be like them. Remember Leviticus? Be holy, for I am holy. And you're living in a world dominated by Greek culture and Greek customs, Greek language, all this stuff. And, and, and they're coming in there, and they're, they're telling you you've got to become a Greek, and you are a pious, faithful Jew wanting to keep the law. You know what happened when your ancestors conformed to the world. What happened to them? God punished them and sent them away into exile to Babylon. So you, as a pious, Bible-loving Jew, you want to do anything you can to help your people remain pure. That's where the Pharisees come from. They love God. They love the law, the Bible, and they wanted to remain pure. They wanted to help the people to remain pure. And so the Pharisees arose out of this, out of this, uh, this cultural context where they're trying to hang on to their Jewish identity, you know, try to hang on to that. And the Pharisees said, we got to get back to the law, got to get back to the Bible. Does that sound familiar? They were the restorationists of the day. Uh, they were, let's get back to scripture, let's go back to the Bible. I mean, there, there are similarities between our, our historical plea for us and churches of Christ is, uh, let's get back to the Bible, let's get back to scripture. What happened with them with this restorationist impulse and this reformation idea, they needed to reform, they needed to restore all this. So what happened to them over from the time, like one, mid-150s or so, to the time of Jesus' ministry in 30 A.D.? So you're talking about 180 years, 200 years? Lots of stuff happens in 200 years. What started out as a good movement, a good God-fearing God-honoring group of people trying to help people stay pure, it degenerated in many ways into a movement that was characterized by a, a, a commitment to tradition over against, in some cases, Scripture, a legalistic approach to the worship of God, and they were honoring traditions they had created rather than the traditions that were biblical in origin. That's what the Pharisees had become by the time of Jesus. But it's important for us to understand where they came from and why they started. It's a good thing, trying to do good things. That can happen to movements. Uh, now, uh, a couple more things about this. You know that um, Greece didn't last forever. And um, from... 
that, that time, during that time, well, you know, Judah got some independent, they, uh, in 142 or so, they, they were independent. It was a tenuous thing. They weren't any, anything like a world power. I mean, they were just independent because there was a lot of division in the rest of the world and nobody wanted to do what it would take to take them again. So they were independent until 63 B.C., Pompey came against uh, Judah. And from then on, for a long time, they were under the thumb of Rome. Of course, 63 B.C., Julius Caesar, Pompey, all that. Um, that's, that's, who, that's who's in power. And Rome is ascending, you know, and they're going to ascend for a while and start declining. But during the time, entire time of the New Testament, and I know you guys already know this, but uh, Rome is at the top, you know. They're at the apex. They're, they're really, really strong. And a lot of good things come out of that, especially for the, for the spread of a new movement. And uh, several things. You've heard of the Pax, Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Because Rome was so strong, you didn't have to worry about a lot of battles going on. There was peace. Uh, the Greek language that had spread under Alexander the Great, uh, Rome took that even farther. It became a religion everybody in the empire was able to speak. Now, the Jews also spoke Aramaic, you know, but they spoke Greek and wrote Greek. All the New Testament, with the exception of a few words, is written in Greek. Uh, there are a few Aramaic words like Eli, Eli, Lamath, Abakthani. That's, that's Aramaic, which is a Jewish language, but everybody spoke Greek. So you got peace, you got the language. Uh, the, the Romans built roads all over, the, all over the empire. So if you wanted to travel from one part of the empire to another, it was unprecedented how you could travel that quickly. Now, by modern standards, it would be, you know, way old, you know, archaic. But for then, it was really good. And um, so you had, you know, the language, you had the, the roads, you had the peace. Galatians 4.4 says, And the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. And I believe that's part of what Paul's talking about there. When he's talking about this time, that the cultural situation, the peace, the language, universal language, the transportation. If you want to start a new movement, that was the time. You could do it in one language. You could do it quickly because you could travel. And you didn't have to worry about all the wars going on. So all this, stuff, um, all this stuff led to a situation in the New Testament. When you open your Bibles to Matthew and you read about people like Pharisees, well, they're 150 years old, you know, that tradition. And also the Sadducees, which were in opposition to the Pharisees, that came out of that. They were associated with the temple. Um, you read about publicans, tax collectors. Where did that come from? Well, when Rome took over, you know, they needed a lot of money to keep their machine going. And so they, they would pass that on to the regions, you, take, you choose people of your own, or we'll choose people from your own culture, and uh, they collect taxes, and we'll take most of it, and, uh, and then they can, they can do more than they need, and that's how the publicans got a bad name. So just all this stuff, you know, it's coming out of this, this intertestamental time. We're, we're out of time, and there's, there's, I mean, that's a ton of stuff in there that we didn't even, even talk about. You guys, I didn't leave you much, but you guys have any thoughts, anything I just completely ignored that ought to be discussed? Yes, sir. Sure. No, I want to hear it.
Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Good, good thoughts. Um, I've got that in my notes, by the way, some of it, most of it. Uh, it's, it's really, really good. Brother Curry brought up some good things, and I, I should have mentioned, like um, the, the Septuagint. You know, because the Greek language had gone everywhere, people didn't read Aramaic anymore. A lot of them didn't read it. Uh, didn't read Hebrew, certainly. Uh, they translated the Bible into Greek in 70 BC, you know, no, it wasn't then. About 70 scholars, you know, he translated it. That's the Bible Jesus used. What was the other thing? You t- the synagogue. The synagogue came out of that time. The, the creation of, a, of these local worship sites. As, as the, you mentioned, the dispersion of the Jews. Because of the Roman Empire, Jews spread out all over the world. And if you had a bunch of Jews, you know, 10 or more, as the tradition arose, in a, in a city, they would build them a place... A, a place of worship, synagogue, where they'd read scripture and sing and, and so on. And so, yeah, thank you for that. And lots of stuff, you know, in that time that just, it's all over the New Testament. So, um, all right, I know we're past time. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate it so, guys. You appreciate it so much. Thanks for listening.